Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. She's a dominant force. If there is a weak spot out there, she can actually turn that around and use it to your advantage. At the top of the goal square, she kicks it. She snaps a spectacular tumbling goal. This is The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. Welcome to The Outer Sanctum. We are thrilled to be back for the 2019 season of the AFLW and the AFLM. In case you need a refresher on who we are and what we do, The Outer Sanctum is a place where a bunch of football-loving friends gather to discuss the social, the stupid and the sublime around Aussie rules football. We are only a week away from the AFLW kicking off, so we have some serious talking to do. To get started, let me introduce our team. I am Emma Race. I am Kate Sear. I'm Alicia Sometimes. I'm Lucy Race. Oh, I'm Felicity Race. (laughs) And I'm Nicole Hayes. So much has happened since we last caught up with you all. We want to discuss some of the big stories or the stories that really caught our eye um, in the off-season. Sometimes it's so hard to not be on air when things are being thrown up in the news and we just want to talk about them with all of you guys. We would absolutely love to hear from you. What are the things that have caught your eye in the off-season? Alicia Sometimes, let's go with you first. Picking something on the off-season is like picking your favourite child. There's been so many things going on sport-wise. I have been glued to Twitter, Facebook and uh, my TV, as well as getting outside and playing. Uh, One of my favourite things I did a couple of years ago was I was training for footy and I was breastfeeding on the sidelines as I, you know, have a little breastfeed, get back and have a kick. And, of course, over the summer we heard of Jasmine Paris. She became the first woman to win the 268-mile, or that's 431 kilometres, race uh, in spine, the spine race, um, which is one of the toughest endurance contests. It's uh, 83 hours she took carrying 5.5 backpack containing her emergency supplies and 3,000 calories of snacks, barely sleeping three hours across three nights. This 35-year-old vet from Edinburgh, um, you know, just did this endurance test while, you know, stopping for a breast pump and breastfeed. And I think it's amazing. She was offered sponsorship, but she said she has something more significant that she has already, which is a career as a scientist and a vet. And she doesn't need another one. She said she was so prepared for this because she doesn't get any sleep anyway. (laughs) So she said that she was somehow um, naturally tuned to this event. And anyone who saw the photos or read the story were just so inspired. And it reminded me of marathon runner Sophie Power, who was a marathon runner who stopped to breastfeed um, a, a year ago. Oh, no, actually in September. And she said it's highlighted something that women feel really unable to talk about. There's a huge mother's guilt to be away from the baby. And also it is so natural just to breastfeed. But again, that she's gone through no sleep and again was prepared. So there you go. Of course, we think of the image of the co-deputy leader of the Greens breastfeeding in the Senate and how amazing that was. And 
if you Google hockey player Sarah Small with her breast pump and breastfeeding, and it just made me think of the AFLW and, of course, the uh, amazing image of Daisy Pierce. Will she be back on round four? What do you <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it, because we've seen Daisy. She's still got an assistant coaching role um, and she's obviously been at training every session for the AFLW Ds, but there would be a lot of Ds fans that were torn. Lucy, you're, a D, you're an AFLW Ds member. Were you both equal parts thrilled for Daisy to be taking on this? It's it's also a history-making moment for a player, for a current player to be pregnant and with twins, no less, that, to know that you're not going to see oh, her play this absolutely. season. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled for Daisy and I'm also gutted that she won't be out there, but I am looking forward to seeing how they actually represent that in the team list. Mm. <laughs> I actually think she won't be on the list, but it would be funny to see out in, in bracket, twins. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I've been thinking about? Because, you know, Daisy is obviously also a midwife as well as being the captain of the Melbourne football team um when a captain of a football team who's a midwife is about to give birth do you think they've got the magnets on the board and she's like okay this is I'm going to have the obstetrician here I need the partner here I'm going to pick my team and uh, my mail is that she has kind of handpicked her team and that Tiana Ernst from the Western Bulldogs will be delivering the baby and before any of you drive off the road and are terrified about the concept of that just to confirm she is an obstetrician (laughs) (laughs) but also I love the fact that twins you know the football hold that they have for the twins she's going to be absolutely uh, key for that and that just to for anyone that wants to look at the AFLW pregnancy and parental management travel policy, it is actually quite a, a handy set of guidelines and it looks like they're advocating for women and breastfeeding. So, I love the idea of um, new motherhood as being basically endurance training. Like, it, I mean, it's exactly what it feels like, or except that there's no prize at the end, is there? The baby. The one, when you <laughs> no, give, but that's, that's after you've had the baby. It's just God, you know, years of no sleep. This is awkward. Nicole's thinking, I hope my children aren't no, listening no. at home. She loves girls, you. Turn off. She loves you, girls. Do you know there's been so many AFLW mums who have become mums in the off-season? There's been a yep. lot of pregnancies and I've seen so many babies at jumper presentations and I think that this season we'll see an unprecedented number of babies, you know, being carried out onto the field. No doubt it will dish up uh, a lot more conversation and, I just saw, and Gary Ablett's obviously had his baby. There's been lots of, there's been a baby boom in the AFLM as well. And just to give you the heads up on the baby news for Gary Ablett, they didn't call him Gary Ablett Jr. Jr. They didn't? No. Can we also do a a shout out to the gorgeous Browns, Hester and Ben, with that divine little one that came into the world over the break? Can I? Yeah. Gorgeous. And can I just say, this could be fake news, but what I heard was that if you have, I think this is an American custom, if you call, rather than calling a baby Junior Junior, you call them Chip, the third one in the line. So I am surprised that it's not Chip Ablett. Does that come from Chip off the old block? <laughs> I think it must. It must. Chip off the old Look, junior. If it doesn't, it's fake news and we'll hear about it from our listeners, no doubt. I know. Well, let us, yeah, do get in touch if you know the answer mm. to that. Felicity, um, when there's no footy, I mean, there's a school of thought that you could just watch replays, but there's also other sports that well, are on are, when football's not on. There are. And I mean, you know, my first love is tennis. So, <laughs> you know, I've got a sore neck at the moment from watching too much. But during the off season, what I've really loved is watching the cross coders pop up in other sports. And it's probably something that's quite particular to AFLW. Uh, we don't see it so much with AFLM 
um, unless you consider maybe like Instagramming from Potsy Polo a, a cross-coding <laughs> event. You know, watching Jess Duffin in the cricket has been amazing. There was this great bit of um, coverage where as she uh, she took a spectacular uh, catch and the commentator said, is that a catch or a mark? And I thought, <laughs> you know, it's, it, was, it was terrific. But also watching people like Shani Layton, who, um, ex-Australian netballer, who's um, just played her first practice match for Collingwood and is coming over this way. And it got me thinking about, as I'm watching the tennis, I, I'm looking at the builds of some of these players and I'm thinking, gee, Sam Stozer would be good, wouldn't she? Wouldn't oh, she be a good yeah. footballer? Like, do you ever look at players in other sports and think, yeah. you know, you, you could come and well, play Ash our game? Well, Barty's been a cross-coder. Yeah. Mm. And Jacinda Barclay from GWS, who actually originally played for Australia in baseball, which doesn't seem an obvious connection to AFLW, but also sp- spent some time in the US as a quarterback in NFL, the um, not NFL, but the game. Uh, the LFL, it's called, used to be the Lingerie Football League. Now it's the Legends Football League. And yeah, and then... Better name. It is a better name. Um, and she was a bit of an agitator over there too, which was great because they were, you know, concerns about player treatment and the rest of it. But came back as soon as the AFLW was announced and... She's up at GWS for a second season, so there is there is some good. school of thought people that don't like cross coders coming across and being the big ticket items or you know being the focus of those games because I think that there is a theory that we should be investing in grassroots footy and allowing that to be the pathway. And I, I suppose when you see women who perhaps should have been picked up by the draft that weren't that are have always been footballers and have been committed to that craft, I don't I don't really know where I sit on it though. Yeah, but I, I also look at it from you look at someone like Shani and the the contribution she's already made to Collingwood through their netball program. I think just having her around the club, you know, it's a terrific thing for them. They mm. haven't lost that sort of you know, that ability mm-hmm. for, for her to be a leader within the whole sporting concept of Collingwood. And I think as time goes on and pathways become much more yeah. un, unbroken, mm. it'll mean that we don't have that happen as much. I think when you go through the team lists of all of the AFL clubs that will run out next week, you see so many people have come from basketball, netball, and that would have just been because they yeah. didn't have the option of football that was, that was when the they case. were younger. Yeah, but if, Jacinda had to stop at 14, so that's, uh, she, but she was playing AFL in her, her childhood. A fantasy play for me, though, is Heather Graham from the WBBL. She's just such a great wicket taker and batsman. Let's just pretend she could do footy. <laughs> as At least well. Perry, man. You know, I, I bet oh, she could. Yeah, Wouldn't imagine she be amazing. You, that would be amazing. Um, we're getting some SMSs coming through. People, uh, we'd love to know where are you listening to us right now? There's this is very funny. There's some multitasking going on by Robin of Ramston Street. She says, "Lovely to hear you. I'm multitasking, listening to you about to watch the WBBL final. What an exciting day! And in the off season, I've noticed how well Lauren Arnell has fitted into the Lions, yeah. which is going to be a really interesting one to watch. Mm-hmm. Lauren Arnell, of course, was pre." Was was the captain of Carlton in the first season of um, AFLW and has now almost in a Luke Hodge move, I think, gone across to the Lions. And I think that on field, she's going to bring some real footy nous and she's such a great leader. We saw in that game last year when Carlton were getting pretty much slaughtered by the Western Bulldogs. Lauren Arnell was the one that really turned it around. Well, didn't turn around on the scoreboard too much, but she was the only one that kicked goals, I think, in that game. Kate? Yeah, just on multitasking, it's obviously not just Robin who's multitasking. Nikki's also tweeted us, so get get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook too. Nikki says, today's multitasking challenge, multitasking challenge is finding the outer sanctum on my iPad, finding some clothes that fit, and then getting ready to get lost on my way to the other side of Sebastopol somewhere 
to go to a cousin's 40th. So Nikki's got a lot on. But hi, Nikki, and good luck with all of that. Chance. Good luck. And also from Kate in Elwood, I have been a footy sceptic all my life, but this week joined NAFLW. It only took 48 years, but I'm here and ready to go. So Ooh. proud. Congratulations, Kate. Now, Lucy, on the uh, during the off-season, you have been head down in books, which are usually, it's usually pods for you. I have, been, both. I have been head down in books and um, and also in pods. Um, what I wanted to talk about, about, you know, the, the story from sport that really caught my eye was in December, the AFL appointed their first Indigenous commissioner. So Professor Helen Milroy is a Palku woman and the Palku people are from WA's Pilbara region. She has a really strong background in mental health and served previously on the AFL's Indigenous Advisory Committee, but she now becomes the third woman on the current commission. She was quoted as saying that this is an important opportunity to focus on mental health as well as the well-being of children and communities through their participation in sport. And what her appointment does is fulfills a promise that Mike Fitzpatrick made back in 2016 um, to make sure that by the end of 2018 that we would have an Indigenous person on, on the AFL Commission. This is so important because we know how important it is to have, if you've got people making decisions, they need to be representative of the people that they're making decisions for. So I think this is a really um, big and important story in AFL. Absolutely. Do you know what else I would love to see in the season going ahead? I would love to see some um, Indigenous past players in the commentary box. Um, and there's a lot of really talented people who have a lot of depth and knowledge. Um, but until I think until that moment, I just I think um, the commentary will be lacking because it, it is often pretty... Um, not that diverse, I should say, <laughs> in commentary boxes. So that's something that um, has been on my mind as well, Lucy. Mm. Interesting. Nicole, there's been some rule changes in the off-season. It felt like that's all we talked about last year. Um, it started with the memo with the AFLW, which um, many will remember, and the, the reaction to a game that wasn't considered high-scoring enough in that first round. But it continued through the AFLM as well. You know, there was talk of an 18-metre goal square and they were going to introduce a netball hoop. I, made that one up but um, <laughs> <laughs> but, there was but really, we didn't notice everything was on the table it felt like but they have actually come down with these uh, decisions and the AFL is the governing body so they apply to everybody unless the AFLW actually um, applies for an exemption um, we're going to go into more detail about this next week but the key ones I think which I think most people would support is the rule specific to um, the AFLW is the the last touch rule where instead of a boundary a, a ball being in dispute and a boundary throw in they it's whoever touched the ball last the opposition gets a kick well now that doesn't does not count in the 50 meter arc and so um, that'll be that's one everybody was concerned with um, and also the boundary umpire going to come in 10 meters so that's a big one too I think that'll really help open up the flow in the middle of the ground. Yeah, and we saw that at the practice matches. There was a couple of practice matches last weekend. Uh, I certainly felt when I watched that um, in action that it was getting the ball back into the corridor really quickly. And I actually wondered whether it would render the um, last touch out of Maybe. bounds rule kind of, you know, not really that important anymore because it wasn't really rolling back over the boundary again once you bring it in the 10 metres. And that's one of the only rules that that is an AFLW specific mm. rule. But a lot of the other rules are going to be stripped across both um, the men's and the women's competition, which um, will be really interesting to see what everyone thinks about them. Because in watching the games last week, I thought that it was really free flowing. The scoreboard was um, definitely a little bit more 
healthy mm. um, in comparison to what we've traditionally seen in women's games. But I wonder how it will affect the men's games. If you guys, if you um, saw the practice matches last weekend and you had a strong feeling about those rule changes and how they were looking on the field, let us know. I think it's probably a good sign that they didn't repaint that goal square. I think that would have been a big mistake. I mean, plus there's always those people who just don't touch the game, keep it the way it is. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds over the season. Can we also do a shout out that in the first practice matches, the two new teams came out on top? I mean, mm, nice. you know, Geelong won their first ever game in North Melbourne and you think, well, that's, you know, Geelong's coming from a sort of a team that's played together largely through the, the VFL season. Um, North Melbourne's <clears throat> put together, you know, from sort of recruits and existing players from their, their other clubs. But I just thought that's extraordinary, mm. you know, to go into your first practice match and win. I think both teams kicked something like three or four goals in the opening couple of minutes. Like oh, it's, nice. it's signalling a change, I think. Yeah, I think they came out pretty hard as well. Like they had a lot to prove. They wanted to really take the car for a spin. Is that an okay analogy to use? <laughs> I don't <laughs> know what it means, but sure. I think we have to check with Kate on that one. <laughs> Is that okay, Kate? I'm happy with it. I'm, ha- that's, I'm happy with it for now. But it's a real commentary watch. <laughs> Is that the first for the season? <laughs> well, I've done a few commentary watches with the tennis and the cricket over the season, which... Um, I thought were funny. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting, I enjoyed it. We're getting some more messages. Marianne on Twitter says, so pleased to hear you on air. Thanks, Marianne. It's lovely to hear from you. And Casey on Twitter says, about to watch the sold out awesome WBBL final on TV and listen to the Outer Sanctum team hit the airwaves on ABC Melbourne. What a beautiful morning for women's sport. That's nice Aww. to hear from you too, Casey. One thing that caught my eye, of course, going into AFLW season three is that we will have no female coaches for the first time in. AFLW. Um, as senior coaches. As senior yeah. coaches. Yeah, very good point, Nick. But I did notice that there was a new coaching pathway program in the media this week that has been launched. I think the Coaches Association is behind it and it's kind of a, a program where there'll be a scholarship to allow people to have an attachment and and then they'll get some education on it and then hopefully it's to encourage people to go into coaching. But, of course, I, I did that stupid thing where I read the comments. Oh. <laughs> Oh, Why would I do that mm, I to myself? Know. I really need to get that. Don't read the comments tattoo. Well, but I bought you. I made you a. I made you a t-shirt that says "Don't read the comments." So obviously, you need to be looking in the mirror while you've got your phone. It would help backwards. You need to it's print true. it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting reading because they weren't just talking about women coaching in the AFLW. The, the proposition is that they women will coach in the men's game as well, and there was a lot of very strong reaction to that. There was, um, you know, everything from um, over my dead body will a woman coach the men or I can't wait till Lisa Alexander loses her job and a man gets her job as the coach of the Australian women's netball team and how on earth could they have experience to do that and then the final kicker for me was well if they're so good why aren't they doing it already I was reminded of Brent Staker who um, I'm sure is just doing a bang up brilliant job at the Brisbane Lions he's an assistant coach and he has been there in the AFLW team since season one but on his website over the summer holidays, he posted a story um, that he had written about his experience with AFLW and how much he loved it and season one, how great it was. And it was a supremely positive story. But in it, he said when he was appointed the assistant coach of the Brisbane Lions women's team, he had never even seen women play football. And I thought it's a really different story, isn't it? When you're a male player coming from 
the men's game into the women's game. It doesn't seem to have as many caveats on it. But then, of course, during the Australian Open, we heard this beautiful moment that was so kind of clearly executed and, and so eloquently put by Marcus Pouillet, who is the French tennis player. I'm going to let you hear it now. So I'm getting the feeling that a lot of these guy players are going to be hiring female coaches now because something's going on here. Well, they should. They should. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, she has the, the right state of mind. She knows everything about tennis. It's not about being a woman or a man. It's just being, uh, I mean, to know, I mean, it doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter. You, you just have to know what you're doing and, uh, and she does. That was, of course, Lucas Pouillet. I don't speak French, so I thought his name was Marcus. So sorry about that. <laughs> but Emily, so Emily Moresmo is his coach and doing a great job. It's not the first time she's coached. No, she male. she hasn't actually. Quite famously, a few years ago, she was actually appointed as the coach of Andy Murray, who you all know and regular <laughs> listeners to our Who's show he? might know. He's my husband. He doesn't. Know, <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know that he's my husband, so it's kind of awkward. But um, no, I love Andy Murray, and sadly, he has announced due to injury that he's going to have to retire um, soon. But but it was really controversial in 2014 when he appointed Moresmo as his coach. She coached him for a couple of years and he won seven titles under her tutelage. So she really knows what she's doing. Um, but, you know, all of the same kind of criticism came up at that point in time about Moresmo coaching him. And he said she is, you know, he was fierce in defending her. She obviously knows what she's doing. And, of course, men have coached women's sport for a really long period of time and we have rarely questioned um, that. But yeah, as you said, there has been a lot of movement in coaching this year and we still have lost Beck Goddard. So when we speak to Nicole Livingston soon, I'd really like to ask her about that. This is The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. In honour of being on AFLW Eve, we would like to welcome to The Outer Sanctum, the Head of Women's Football at the AFL, Nicole Livingston. Welcome to The Outer Sanctum. Thank you very much for having me. The hot weather in Victoria, though, I have to say, I am a little lacking in sleep. But I believe some of you might have air conditioning that you sleep to at night. Yeah, and I think we'll all be slumber partying at Lucy's house uh, tonight, maybe. Um, Thanks so much uh, for coming and being part of the show today when I know it must be your absolute busiest time. We've followed your career for so long when you were a professional swimmer and then, of course, as a broadcaster. So clearly you are a lover of sport and now you head up our favourite sport. But here at the Outer Sanctum, we love stories of inclusion and where inclusion and diversity intersect with sport. So I wanted to start with a non-footy question, which is your youngest son, his name is Robinson. And I was wondering if you could tell us why. Um, yes, my youngest son is 11 years of age. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have girl-boy twins. If I was smart, perfect pigeon pair, I may have stopped there, but we are blessed with a youngest child. His name is Robinson um, because he's named after Jackie Robinson. Uh, Jackie Robinson, there is now a, a movie on Jackie Robinson, a recent release, but he was the first African-American um, baseball player. We're a big baseball family as well. Both boys play baseball. So uh, my husband grew up playing cricket. Uh, we stumbled across baseball because I said, you are not playing long form cricket. I'm not sitting there with children <laughs> watching you. So we found baseball, which was quite quick. Uh, and we loved the story of Jackie Robinson. Um, I'm getting to know a little bit more about my family history and heritage as well. And um, one of my very first relatives to come to Australia was an African American um, who married an Irish uh, Catholic lady. And they moved to Bendigo for um, the gold rush. So for me, it, it had a really nice synergy. Uh, Jackie Robinson um, pushing boundaries, making it a better place, the world 
world a better place and we loved baseball and you know we were blessed to have Robinson so Robinson also gets called Roo so that's uh, a nice little footy uh, connection there too so yeah. Does it feel like it has informed what has rolled out to be um, your life's work? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, for me, I come from a sport that is, I mean, we don't really see gender in the sport of swimming. Um, Everything that's on offer for a man is on offer for a woman. And in fact, um, it's probably almost apart from quite a few stars over time, like, you know, Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett and Kieran Perkins and then the ones all through our history, women have been performing really well in the sport of swimming and have, um, you know, been the stars of the sport for many, many years. So um, growing up, I didn't see gender, I saw opportunity, um, which I think is is a fortunate thing, but blissfully probably unaware that there was this struggle as I was a young athlete, that there, there was this struggle for women that loved footy, that wanted to play footy. I was a little bit aware of it, of course, um, you know, the challenges that um, took place to the system to try and get girls to be able to go longer than 12, 13, 14. So they were very public, but again, had my head down, my bum up training um, or a backstroker, so not necessarily <laughs> head down, bum up, but, you know, I was training for Olympics, so I wasn't really totally aware of it. But um, seeing the movement evolve in the last um, sort of five years with exhibition matches and and just these remarkable women that are changing the faces of our society. Your journey to football obviously has come through not following the black line on the bottom of the pool, but looking at the roof. What was your relationship with football before you took this role? Yeah, so um, I've grown up in Melbourne. Um, my dad barracked for Carlton. My mum barracked for Essendon, but um, he convinced her very quickly that Carlton was the way to go. And when I started sort of making my way in swimming and representing Australia, um, Carlton realised that I was a supporter of the Blues. I grew up going with my mum um, to Princess Park and uh, the seating that we sat in is no longer there because it's been redeveloped. But my mum ended up a fierce Carlton supporter, um, don't take on her family or a footy club, look out. Um, and then so in 1987, Tommy Elvin, Stephen Silvani, who I had a massive crush on, presented me with um, a Guernsey and uh, an honorary membership. So I've been a member of Carlton since 1987 and then returned. But I was in Sydney for quite some time, returned back to Victoria in the year 2000. Started to also work not only broadcast, but to get into boards and to work into sports administration. So I've always been a firm believer, which I'm sure all of you are as well, that you actually have to keep... Um, that longer view of what you're doing going. You know, you're not always going to be able to do the same thing. So from an athlete into broadcast, I realised when I got into my 40s that my life in front of the camera was probably on a limited time um, zone. So started to work much more into sports administration. So um, certainly around the outskirts of football, but very much heavily involved in sports administration. We do hear a lot of criticism about Mm. the AFLW being a financial drain on the AFL and costing too much money. And and I wonder if you can tell us a bit about how the AFL sees the value Mm. of AFLW. How do you judge its value and worth? So I like glasses half full rather than half empty. So I don't actually listen to the discussions that it's a drain or, you know, and, and I, to be honest, I don't hear that at the AFL in any way, shape or form. And quite often people will say to me, geez, it must be hard walking in the door at the AFL, you know, given, you know, the environment. And, and you know, maybe three years ago, I would have said the same thing before I stepped foot in, but I felt nothing but support. I felt nothing but support internally for the AFL and women's football. So just to be really clear, the AFLW is... Um, as you know, our elite competition. We run at the moment nine weeks, which I know will get discussed here today as well. But 
my job is also looking after women's women's football. Um, so I don't see it as a drain. I see it as an investment, an investment of actually making society change as well. I hear so many stories when I go out from community about, you know, footy clubs. I heard one the other day, a footy club in the western suburbs of Melbourne, that actually uh, when women's football started to take shape and started to really uh, get a run up, the club itself, and I won't name names, the club itself was quite hesitant, didn't really want to include women. They are now down the track and they have a female president. So to actually hear those stories, I think, is, is, is really fantastic. It gives me the idea of what we're actually doing. You know, we see it as an investment of growing the league to get to the point that women have equal opportunity and not only equal opportunity, it's equally valued. But that's going to take some time. I love the fact that everybody's so passionate and they want things here and now. Uh, and I completely get that. And I want that for my daughter as well. But we have a very, very long wish list and laundry list and it is not a blank check. So I bid for my budgets, we bid for our budgets and we, we go through a very big process with that um, and we are working our way through what we need to get through to set up AFLW and women's football for the sustainable future. Uh, there's no doubt though by bringing more women, we've always had women that are fans of the game, you are a testament to that. Um, so from a scale of economy of the AFL, I mean obviously it, it is good for them to have more women getting involved with football and what we do know about AFLW is that um, at least 30% of our audience have never followed AFL. They've never followed football, but they're following a women's movement and they know that this is the right thing to get behind. So you'd be silly to think that that's not part of a thought process of trying to bring new audiences into AFLW and eventually they do become fanatical supporters of the AFL. The marketing of AFLW in season two is criticised yeah. and, and inevitably it's always going to be compared to the marketing or promotion of AFL-X yes. or AFL-M, what are you doing differently for yeah. season three? Um, so our budgets weren't reduced in season number two. We specifically took a different tact. Uh, the media space and the, the advertising space is changing and the digital side of things is becoming much more evident that that is a platform. So in year two, we actually took a different tact and went down the digital route. So we had relationships with Mamma Mia, with Broadsheet. Uh, anytime you open social media, you would have seen Dare to Create. But what we do realise now with the fanatical support of AFLW is we do need to have a campaign that is very visual so that um, people, even if they're not on social media, which I think most people are, particularly those that follow AFLW, uh, if they're not watching TV, that they can actually see the billboards. I don't know whether or not you've seen Punt Road Bridge, but it's been taken over by uh, Gen W. Uh, and right around the nation, we have outdoor advertising, a TVC campaign this year. So we recognise we probably made a mistake last year of not going going as visual as we should have from a public campaign point of view. But the investment this year is no different to the investment of last year in terms of advertising. Are you a bit damned if you do and damned if you don't with marketing? <laughs> because, I mean, you obviously would receive how much reach those mm. ads um, have and, and how much impact they have. But mm. when the players aren't getting paid as much as you would like them to get paid, when people aren't paying on the door, do you find it hard to spend a marketing budget? And we have that? to be really careful with how we spend our money. We've got, we, we don't, don't be fooled by us having a short season at the moment. We do want to, have to play more games, but right now, as everything is growing so quickly, we need to actually be cautious with how we invest. So some of the criticism that I've heard is, oh, you know, why haven't we seen anything about AFLW yet? From a marketing and an advertising point of view, 
to do that during a very busy BBL, WBBL and Australian Open period of time. It's just a waste of money. Do you as hip well and just shoulder, be throwing it up in the air. Do you hip and shoulder the AFLX people as you're walking down the hallway <laughs> and go like, get out of my ad space? Well, I actually sit opposite, so we face to face with the lady that is looking after AFLX. So um, last year we did have some discussions about AFLX and timing, but this year much more collaborative. So from the moment that we knew that AFLX and AFLW timings, we have been uh, at the table together talking about clean air windows, making sure that when X is in the market, it's giving AFLW the air it needs. Um, And I think you'll see that a lot more aligned. Uh, What I will say to your listeners, because I know that they're probably fairly anti-AFLX, is that um, from an AFL point of view, we do need to investigate a short form of the men's game. Um, If you look at what the other sports have done, they, they all have it. So for us not to investigate what a short form may be is not good business sense. But then I think about what is the opportunity for AFLW? I know we want to play more games. We want the players to be paid better. But are there some other opportunities throughout the year that we may be able to do, whether it's an international series or it is a short form? Um, AFL Nines is really popular in New South Wales and Queensland. I see it more as an opportunity of how can we work together with them. AFLX has its own budget. I bid for my budget. I don't get to grab their budget if they're not around. Um, So um, the budgets are very separate and from an investment point of view, we bid for our budget, we got what we want. I can't steal their piece of pizza and put it on my pizza. Or their topping. (laughs) (laughs) Nicole. Yeah. The the one question I do want to ask, Mm. we talked about budget already, is regarding there were issues um, around some of the venue and facilities uh, last year. Lighting in particular being a concern. How's that being addressed this year? Yeah, so you'll see from our uh, schedule and our fixture this year that um, there are probably less night games this time round. So those we have identified those venues that do have lighting that is broadcast friendly. Clearly, Icon um, was criticised last year, so the game timing has allowed us to not rely on those lights. Uh, Those venues that need to bring in lights like Norwood and and Witten, we've been able to do that. So uh, I keep my fingers and toes crossed that we don't have have extremely high winds because that um, obviously gives us some issues with those lights going up. From now on, uh, there's a lot more investment going in. There's going to be some exciting announcements for markets other than Victoria in terms of venue investment. Um, So um, also making sure that from an icon point of view, if that is one of our main venues that that's looked after for lighting. So probably not there for 2019, but moving forward, um, I think it will have better lighting in future seasons. Uh, We're so pumped about Geelong and North, of course. What is the plan for expansion? Because I can't even imagine the juggling that has to go on. Yeah. So from a competition point of view, um, so clearly we're in conferences. So that it's it's had some discussion. Your listeners, I'm sure, um, have had much discussion about it. Uh, There's also been lots of discussion as to whether or not eventually the AFL men's should go down that path. So I don't mind us being innovative. I don't see that as being gimmicky, which is one of the words that I hear quite a lot about decisions that we make. I, I think that the conference model in terms of giving us another layer of discussion as to the cross conferences. Uh, I think it will actually cause a lot of uh, discussion about, you know, who's going to get in, who's not going to get in. Um, so I'm, I'm happy and pleased that we're, we're going down that route. It will be trial and error and we're not afraid to admit to all of you that 
if we haven't done something right, like season two advertising that, that will say that. Um, so expansion is a challenge for us. We have 60 new players in the league this year. Um, that's 60 more women with opportunity to be in high performance environments, another 120 next year. But we have been able to do a talent audit right around the nation to see what staffing and what resources are needed. And I'm pleased to say that we were able to bid for funding for that for the, from the AFL Commission. Um, so we have secured funding for that for the next four years. So uh, as of December of 2018, every state and the Territory Office have uh, increased resources for women's football. Uh, we, were, we were seeing staff in the offices stretched to look after men's and women's or boys and girls. And I'm a firm believer of human nature. You revert to what you're most comfortable with. And for many of the staff, that is looking after boys' footy. So uh, we now have standalone staff in all of our state and Territory Offices looking after this talent development. Um, we also have a new talent manager started at the AFL as well, a national female talent manager. So pretty excited about that and um, we'll start to see these visible talent pathways, which is what I've had from the sport that I've come from, little girls knowing exactly what they need to do and what's on offer for them to be AFLW players. No doubt though, it's going to be a stretch. Nicole, on that, you've talked about conferencing and you're right, our fans, you know, a lot of them had a lot to say about conferencing. What we've all endeavoured to do is just say, okay, we've got a comp, make sure you're there. The only thing you can do is actually turn yeah. up. But one thing that might be really useful, mm. and we have talked about this before, is a vision yep. that that um, we can look towards for maybe the next 10 or 20 years. Is there a vision for AFLW in the works? Yeah. So 10 and 20 years is very difficult in a very fast-changing environment and not just the sport environment. You think about the way that viewers consume sport, the way that uh, we attend our sport. Things are changing rapidly. So from our point of view, we have a vision. It has been there since... Um, Gill announced that uh, AFLW was taking place and that's something that we continue to be motivated by. However, uh, that was put in place in 2015 and it's important for us to also update that. So yes, we are in the works of updating uh, the strategy and and public vision for AFLW and also women's football. Again, let's bring it back to the bigger piece of women's football. One of our biggest drivers is to make Australian football a sport of choice for for women and girls. So um, we need to make sure that at the other end that they're having a good experience when they turn up to footy clubs. So churn is something that we also watch. So we know that it's increased uh, year on year in terms of participation, girls turning up to footy clubs. But um, the churn is something that concerns me as well. So are they having a good experience when they get to footy clubs? Are parents worried about player safety? That is a big um, piece that we're also doing. So this year we'll be uh, setting in place national guidelines for female football right around the nation. We're also, we've just finished recording a series of videos to help community football in terms of three areas in particular, um, in terms of the way that they're picking up ground balls. We know that from a player safety point of view, there there has been um, a lot of injuries that's been quite public, um, but bumping and tackling are the other two areas that, that we really need to make sure, and landing, so the aerial side of things. So we're heavily investing in that. We've sent out prep to play to all of our clients clubs, which is a prehabilitation program for females, particularly for ACLs. So again, when I think about the laundry list, there is so much for us to do and we are getting through it, but it's going to take some time. So you'll see some community side of things um, this year, but the churn is something that I really want to address this year. 
I've learned a new word, pre, prehabilitation. Prehabilitation. <laughs> That's before I you get injured. It. I love it. <laughs> Speaking about churn and about pathways, mm. one of the really big stories after AFLW season two was the loss of Beck Goddard mm. to the to the game. And um, I think the great news is that for AFLW three, there are a number of female coaches who've, who've come yeah. in as, as, as assistants, but we don't have a senior coach. Yeah. Are there any efforts being made to bring Beck Goddard into the, back into the, the sport mm. or to kind of reconnect with her and also to encourage and develop coaching yeah. pathways for women to give them those senior opportunities in both men's and, and women's yep. footy. Uh, I'm going to just flip for a second. So last year we announced an, a, a women's football umpiring academy. So we have some incredible umpire, female umpires that are in that academy. Uh, and then we commenced the AFLW uh, coaching academy um, last year. So we have six female coaches that are being invested um, specifically from the AFL and our department. They're doing their level three and they're learning alongside male coaches. So part of um, what we heard from female coaches, it was about opportunity for employment and um, to develop, but it was also about visibility. So to be able to see female coaches in the marketplace means that other other females will aspire to do that. I hear from um, community women that have their daughters that play that they don't feel courageous enough to coach their, their girls team because of fear of being ridiculed by male coaches or male parents. Uh, or dads. So to see female coaches in the marketplace is really important. Uh, I know the Coaches Association has just launched a campaign with eggs um, and we'll see four female coaches on egg cartons, which I think also aids the um, the visibility. So we're investing in, in these six coaches for the 12-month period of time. They're doing their level three, which is really important. They're learning beside the male coaches, so getting some visibility there, but we're also doing some professional development with them. So they'll have their third um, contact period with us. They're from right around the country. They will, and Michelle Cowan, importantly, Michelle Cowan is the mentor coach in that. I did reach out to Beck to see if she also wanted to be involved as a mentor coach um, for these six female coaches. And at that point in time, she wasn't ready to come back in. She was coaching at Ainsley. I believe she might be moving to Queensland. So if we think about our expansion for 2020, that's kind of an interesting thought process. So uh, I think she is keen to still be involved, um, but we do need to see a change when it comes to footy clubs. Um, Kate, we need footy clubs to understand and particularly male coaches to understand. And Beck gave me this line that a female coach is not going to lose you a premiership cup. She might just help you win a premiership cup. So just, you know, that's going to take time. Absolutely. One of the things I'm not liking at the moment on the social media, and you're saying you're kind of keeping away, is the the haters that are saying that women get this unnecessary, unequal leg up because <laughs> I saw that the other day. Yeah, that that um, so many people are investing in AFLW unfairly because mm. they're giving this w- women an unfair advantage. What do you say to that? Um, I mean, first of all, the government funding that we've been receiving in the women's football industry has been around facilities. And if anybody argues with the updating of these ancient facilities that are uh, catered only to men's sport, uh, then they're crazy if they're arguing that, that we shouldn't be receiving that. I think nationwide, um, and again, I'm going to throw a stat out, I'm not 100% sure it's right, but I think we're only at about 28% of nationwide when we look at um, football club venues, this is community as well, that are female 
female friendly, so the ability for a woman to be able to get changed, to have a shower if she wants to. Um, and also we have to think about female umpires as well, so that's another separate little area to get changed. I think we're only at about 28%. So we're still not there yet, so we'll continue to push for that. I'm going to continue to advocate as best I can with every state government and our federal government and our oppositions that we actually continue to need support. We need support because we are changing the face of this country in terms of what female football is doing. I spent six years on VicHealth, finished as deputy chair. I also um, chaired their Prevention for Violence Against Women committee, and what I do think and firmly believe is that if we can actually flip the balance of power when it comes to females in football clubs, we can actually start to make a change when it comes to prevention for violence against families and women. You're yeah. talking our language there, Nicole. <laughs> um, you must feel the pressure from other sports that are competing for the talent that we want to be playing AFLW and playing mm. women's football in this country. Do you look to those other codes for inspiration of how they go about some of those um, codes like basketball and um, soccer, their national um, competitions have been up and running for Mm. 25 years. Have you looked to those um, other sports to see how they did it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, we have an informal network, so we do get together. And when we launched Gen W um, on Monday, um, Kim McConkie was one of the first to email me just to say, I love the campaign. Well done. Uh, So we do, I think, you know, and you think about any of the women's sports that have a professional league, rugby league being part of that as well, rugby union, we are getting together informally. Kate Palmer came to the last get together because we recognise that we need to be strong collectively together. And if any one of us have a stumble, it actually has a ripple effect for women's sport. We still suffer from being compared to our big brother that does cast a very big shadow in terms of attendances and viewing audience. And that unfortunately is how we're viewed in terms of our worth. We all know that our worth um, to society is much bigger than how many people are watching on TV or how many people are going to games. So I think the next piece of work for all of us collectively is to try and have some kind of data point that we can actually go to corporate Australia and say, you know, females are a buying influence in your household. We know that we are influencing females through this change in empowerment of females. Get on board. I'd be interested to see the WBBL attendances. I know they've got good viewing audiences, um, but to get people through the gate these days is actually a really challenging thing for everybody, not just female sport, but male sport, other than Aussie rules football for men, um, which people come out and drive. So we want to try and also harness that fanatic support. We have 14 clubs that are slated for 2020. We do have an eventual vision of having every AFL club with a female team. Again, we need to be sustainable, but we recognise that if we want to grow our audience, we also need to um, capitalise on that AFL fanatical support. Do you see um, a way for you as the face of women's football um, to be out there and sort of on the front foot in advocacy for Mm. women's sport? Is there like a new direction or a a way that you could approach that differently? I mean, a lot of the advocacy I do is probably more behind the scenes. Uh, I jumped off Twitter probably after about six months in the role. I was leaving, uh, losing sleep over it. I don't think any of us uh, go into a job thinking that you are going to have every single word that comes out of your mouth or decision that you make publicly critiqued and often criticised. So, uh, and particularly for me, you know, I came into this job because I want to make a difference, not because I have some ulterior motive of unhatching anything that is starting to happen with women's football. I, I want to make sure it's sustainable. I want to make sure that we can actually get to the point where a female football player can choose to be full-time if they want. I will give a caveat on that, is, and that is that I 
worked and trained for Olympic swimming because I knew that at the end of my swimming career, I could knock on the door to get a job and say, hey, I used to be a great backstroker for Australia, but I've got no work experience. So I'm a firm believer of these parallel, but I know that there's a pressure valve for our female players. So I do want to get to the point where they can make a choice to be um, a little less stressed and juggle a little uh, less fanatically. Um, I'm doing as much as I can. I now sit in growth, digital and audience at AFL, uh, which is Darren Birch is my senior boss. I sat the first nine months in footy ops uh, under Steve Hocking, which was fantastic. Jenny Lofnan is looking after the AFLW competition this time around. Uh, in terms of the matches that take place on the, on the ground, she's looking after the men's comp as well, so she'll be fantastic. But for us to actually have control over what we're, we're putting to market, our narrative, advocacy is really important. And 23 years of broadcast experience allows me to do that in growth digital and audience, which is the old AFL media. Nicole, when Lucy. we talk about <laughs> AFLW, we, we inevitably talk about on-field change and off-field change because it does. it is much broader. Do you want Generation W to become part of the vernacular, something that actually refers mm. to a time in this world means more than just football. Yeah, exactly. And so that's um, what Gen W is all about. You're all Gen W. Uh, we know that you're Gen W, but it's those that we know support women's football. Um, we want them to also be publicly supporting women's football. So yeah, I think when we look back in 10 years time, yes, there's been some struggles. Um, but when we look back in 10 years time, I think in you guys included, we'll all feel pretty proud of where we've got to um, and know that the struggle was worth it. So Gen W is our um, platform that we're shouting from the rooftops. It's about the pride that I see in the dads that maybe for just a second when a little girl was born, they thought for the AFL players, oh, I'm not going to get father-son. Now they see the opportunity to come out and you know, have an involvement with footy through their daughters. I saw Clint Bizzle umpiring his daughter's under-12 game. It was on before my son's game of footy. And uh, I didn't know it was Clint. And I thought, geez, this, this male umpire is brilliant with these little girls. You know, he's yes, he's doing his job as an umpire, but he's coaching them and explaining the game as well and why they've been um, whistled or told to do something. And I went up to him after the game, not knowing it was Clint, to shake his hand to say, well done, great umpiring, really great education, and realised it was Clint Bizzle. <laughs> so I see the pride, in, you know, in that, those kind of circumstances. So Gen W is something that we hope unites everybody and it is a generation of women that are changing everything, but it's the men that are helping us change it too. Nicole, I just want to go back to something. I think you might have dropped an exclusive oh my about God, did three I? answers ago when you said Beth Goddard's eight. moving to Queensland. Yeah, I think she's moving to Queensland. I hope I haven't got that wrong. Are you saying that because there's a job? She's moving for work. So she's for what kind of? For Australian which Federal Police. Oh, okay, yep. right, because I'm seeing... Yeah. I'm seeing franchises. You can you can dot the link the can I the points anytime. Well, maybe you should go. Guys should give her a call and see what she's up to. Okay, so I, I mean, that's not that's not based off me having a conversation with Beck in any way, shape, or form. I just heard that she's moving to Queensland for her work. Well, maybe we'll no. follow that up. There you go. Maybe we'll I'll leave that. With you. Yeah, that's nice. Of you. Yeah. I was at a practice match on the weekend, mm. and we will be talking about the new rules yes. um, ad nauseum because yeah. I'm one of those old school people. who's like stop changing the rules, but I yeah. loved the rule changes. Yeah, good. There was. Specifically, I loved the 10-metre throw-in yep. rule. I felt like um, it was really getting the ball back into play. But the thing that I loved almost above and beyond the rules is that they're being brought in across the board, yeah. mostly apart from that one rule. The new rules are for both the men's and the women's game. Yeah. When you roll that out, will that be a part of mm. the communication? Uh, so the AFLW is governed by the laws of the game, which is the AFL. So anytime they make a change to the men's competition rules, we inherit them automatically unless we feel that 
that they're not appropriate for AFLW, then we apply to commission to have a different rule. Runners and water carriers um, are one of those. Uh, we didn't think that was appropriate for this time round. We also, you know, from an AFLW point of view, we see more and more girls coming in new, either from other sports or coming back to footy or through the talent pathway. So we also need to be able to encourage them to hone their skills and show their skills. And we think in particular that 10 metre coming in for boundary throw-ins will allow the ball to get into the corridor a little bit more. We just need our rucks to figure out their positioning in terms of how far that ball is going to travel. We think about 25 metres. All of those rules, we, we do consider the female game as well as the AFL. There was a traffic light uh, decision matrix and anything that was in doubt of player safety and heritage of the game was immediately given that red red light. So uh, we worked, I think there was something like 40 ideas, 44 ideas for both games and we ended up with uh, taking on eight of the nine rules for the men's game and tweaking the last touch and bringing in the 10 metre boundary throw-ins. It feels like that last touch lasso rule may be kind of obsolete with we'll this keep, 10 metre yeah. throw-in. It didn't, it, were you at the practice game? I watched, did I, I didn't get to the ones in Victoria, but I did watch the two that were either on YouTube or, or Facebook Live. So uh, I, I, yeah, well, we're not afraid to review them either, but I think, um, so we've taken it the last touch out of the arcs and the boundary throw-in still in the arcs, comes out 10 metres. So suddenly I've visited all 10 clubs, I've spoken to 300 players, there's an opportunity. You know, what we want to do is encouraging, encourage scoring, mm-hmm. uh, which is also why it changed in terms of the kick-ins. Uh, so that's going to take a bit of time. The 50-metre penalty is the one that I think will take the most time for players to get. But I did see the umpires with two very wide arms out straight and players running around. So that's a 10-metre protected zone on either side and it's a corridor for the player that has the ball to move forward. If they look like they're playing on, the umpire will signal play on and then the protected zone disappears. So the hope is that someone else further down the ground will kick it be on the mark rather than the other person running through. And then that leaves a loose player. You know, it's all about encouraging movement of the ball and, and the potential of scoring. In my relationships, I want a traffic light decision matrix. <laughs> I think idea. we should have one the here. Kids. Can we have it for the kids? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we should get an actual traffic light. I think that would actually help. Okay. Are we all done? Are you all good? Does anyone have any further questions? I mean, we could do this for the rest of the day, but I I'm sure you've got say things to do. Thank you for your support of women's football. I know I don't have to say that to you um, because, you know, you do it because you love it. Our big thing this year, and you've cottoned onto it straight away, go to the footy. If you can't go to the footy, watch it. Uh, and when people ask you about AFLW and women's football, and I say this, I spoke to the premiership winning players from the 1950s, hard audience, but <laughs> I, my final message to them was when you're asked about women's football, think of your granddaughters and be positive about it. So let's get the positive talk about, about women's footy and everything that it's doing and you guys are leading the way. You're listening to The Outer Sanctum on ABC Radio. Really great to catch up with Nicole Livingston. We talk a lot about the work that she's doing, but we haven't had many opportunities to sit down and actually talk to her. Um, we are getting some SMSs in. Hi, Sanctimus. My multitasking this morning involves listening to your dulcet tones, keeping abreast of the WBBL scores and taping up my wonky knees so I can get through another day of cricket. Cheers from gigs. Love the show, ladies. Talking multitasking, I am on my bike training for my fourth Ironman triathlon as a female athlete and coach. It's so motivating to hear the progress being made in women's sport and coaching. Love your work, Nikki in Eltham. Also, interesting RE coaches like Peter Searle's career 
career development in AFLM. Also, I'm sure AFLX's pizza topping would be very cheesy from Phineas. <laughs> um, I'm really keen to hear what you guys all thought about Nicole Livingston's chat. The thing that I think I took away from it was that AFLW is kind of the top of the iceberg of women's sport. I, I didn't really have such a great understanding of how much work is being done just for girls and women's footy by the AFL. What did you What did you take away from it, Nicole? Yeah, I thought it was great that she acknowledged that there'd been some limitations and some missteps along the way, particularly last year regarding the marketing, um, that focus on the digital on the digital platform and perhaps that sense that it wasn't as, as uh, public and as visible as we'd like it to have been. And I think that's going to be their challenge is striking that balance between being organic and responsive to what's happening, but also allowing the game to develop and unfold. So it'd be interesting to see how that plays out. Felicity, what did you take away from that chat? Well, I guess two things. I mean, firstly, I was really pleased to hear her talk about how within AFL House there is nothing but positivity around, um, mm. you know, AFLW, that there's, you know, there's not the panic, there's no, you know, it's not going right. Like it's, it's a very positive environment. But it was also just that stark reminder that when she's talking about speaking to a room of retired players, you know, of a, of a different age, you know, reminding them to be respectful. And, you know, I'm thinking about the WBBL and I feel like, in some, you know, I'm sure they still get slammed, but for the most part, people are very respectful of our cricketers. And I wonder if that's just a timing thing. If mm-hmm. Nicole can hang in there and drag it all there, you know, um, keep the game going and get the grassroots happening, then um, yeah, terrific. Lucy, what did you take away? I really liked hearing about how some of the systems and structures within the AFL have changed. Um, for instance, having standalone staff who are really looking after girls and women's football pathways, because um, I think Nicole acknowledged that sometimes there's a tendency just to do what you're used to. And so what I see that as doing is putting in a structure to deal with any unconscious bias. And I think that women and girls football is going to be better for it. Alicia, you'll be getting a traffic light sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> My traffic light decision matrix. I love that. Uh, you could tell that she really loves football and that that's a great thing too. And thinking about the expansion being longer in terms of years is ex- an exciting thing. And the fact that she wants more games played. So just to, just to hear that out loud is awesome as well. And I love the separation of AFLW and AFLX and the fact that she said that she couldn't steal a piece of pizza from them. Um, <laughs> so, you know... We could like have a heist. Yeah, <laughs> I liked the idea that she said, I can't steal their budget when they're not sitting yeah. at their desks or whatever. I, I imagine Kate, Sierra and I both imagined the hamburger running in while yes. they're out at lunch and just stealing a bag of money off the yes. AFL X desk. Exactly. So <laughs> the if, fact that it's separated is good. Yeah, and if she wears one of those little masks like the hamburger, no one will recognise her, <laughs> the I'm hamburger. sure. <laughs> the hamburger. The hamburger. Sorry, yes. I was very intrigued to hear about Beck Goddard. I'm very hopeful that Beck Goddard will get another opportunity in AFL-M or AFLW. She is a very talented coach and um, I've said on on our show before, on our podcast before, I don't want her lost to our game. So that's maybe a story to watch, I think. Mm, It's interesting, isn't it? I did find it interesting that she addressed the fact that she'd got off Twitter and I think that often Mm. what happens is when people are critical of someone in a public position like that, I hate to say it, but I feel like when people are critical of um, a job someone Someone's doing their female often the attacks come and their personal attacks, whereas yeah. often for men it doesn't come across like that. So it was brave of her to talk openly about that. Yeah, all the attacks are of a different, na- slightly different nature, mm. sometimes a very different nature. They sometimes can be a bit more vicious. So, I, I, yeah, I thought it was actually good to hear her talk about that. I can't believe how quickly this is all going. We've got so much to talk about. But there was some interesting news with some honours being handed out last night, Kate, um, that we wanted to just mark the occasion for some amazing AFL yeah. advocates. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the Australian of the Year Awards were on last night, which I watched with interest. And um, a few people with a connection to footy were nominated. None of them won, unfortunately, but they did win their respective state and territory awards. So huge congratulations to Michael Long, who is just a terrific advocate for Indigenous um, equality in this country. He was nominated for Australian of the Year. Eleni Glufsis, who's a, a female umpire, was nominated for Young Australian of the Year. And also Charlie King, who we had on this show last year, and he's based up in the NT and does some work with Grandstand. He was nominated for Senior Australian of the Year. He does a lot of work to try and eliminate violence against women and children in Indigenous communities. Um, so wonderful to see all of them recognised in some way last night. Yeah, it was impressive to see how many. And just on the Eleni Glufsis, is I think that there is a stat, and we will make sure that we have it for next week but I think that there may be an unprecedented number of female umpires that you will see in the AFLW um, in the season coming up which we will get the stat on that Lucy won't we we um, we will you know we don't do stats in fact (laughs) (laughs) also too Emsie's like Emma's like Emma's looking at Lucy like do your homework for next week (laughs) bring those stats next week we're going to speak to um, hear from Laura Kane who has been such an amazing advocate for football coming out of Arden Street we're going to talk to her she must be so excited because when they didn't get the license the first time around, I know it was a very disappointing moment for everyone who wears those kinds of stripes, not the Geelong kind of stripes. The shin boners, exactly. So next week we'll be catching up with Geelong going inside Arden Street. We're also going to um, deep dive into the AFLW rules because Mm. as Nicole um, Hayes alluded to Mm -hmm. earlier, there are some really interesting things that we want to get to. But until then, we hope that you guys are making all of your plans to get to AFLW games. We thank Nicole Livingston and uh, we'll see you next week.